0: Welcome in to God's Proof Podcast live here in sunny San Antonio, Texas. I'm your host, Michael Austin Winchester, and you, well, yes, you are a witness to history today. No, no, this is not the first podcast, Christian or otherwise. There's millions of them. You and I both know that. It's not even the first podcast about evidence for Christianity, but it is my first podcast. So I want to thank you all for tuning in. Oh no, oh no, I can already hear him. What is this, Austin? What are we doing? Okay. Okay. I hear you, but I'm going to make you wait a little bit longer before I answer that question because big things grow from humble beginnings. And isn't that the story of Christianity? So while I know many of the early listeners of this podcast are going to be friends, family, basically whoever I send it to and forced to listen, this podcast, yes, this podcast has the ability to reach anyone with internet access. So that's most of the world today. And they, they do not know me. So here it goes. My name's Michael Austin Winchester, and I don't care what you call me, Michael Austin, I answer to both. I've been a Christian for about five years now, but I was an atheist before then, or at the very least agnostic. But either way, undeniably outspoken and sarcastic to my friends about it. So I've been on both sides of the aisle, so to speak. I've got believing friends, non-believing friends in my life, and over the past couple of years, I've really gotten into the evidence and explanations for our existence on all sides of the issue. Because no matter who you are, you hold a worldview. Whether we're theist, meaning we believe in some sort of God if you're monotheistic, or gods, plural, if you're polytheistic, or even a purely spiritual dimension of existence if you're pantheistic like Buddhism or Hinduism. We could also be naturalist, meaning we just straight up don't believe in an external creator and that the material universe is all that exists. Point is, we all hold beliefs that influence our values. We all have beliefs about why we're here and that in turn influences how we live. So the obvious question is, How do we know which one is right? It seems like an impossible question. Agnostics would say, well, it is impossible. You know what I say to that? I'm going to give that a big fat, nah, bruh. There is so much evidence in this universe to determine how it came into being. You've got physics, biology, chemistry, mathematics, archaeology, human history, philosophy, neuroscience, human experience. I mean, the list, the list can go on and on and on. And we're going to dive into it all. And that's just evidence. We also need to look at the explanations for the evidence in order to make a reasonable, informed decision on our inferences, to make an informed decision on our conclusions. And though I do disagree... I hope my agnostic friends do at least stay to hear the evidence and explanations we go through, and if it doesn't make you consider your worldview in a new light, at least you can appreciate the effort and the work that the researchers we read from have put in to compile it for you. Now, at this point, you're probably asking, rightly I'll add, "Are you qualified to do this? Are you an expert in all of these fields? You some sort of expert?" Listen up. I'm going to freely admit to you that I am a Average intelligence at best, maybe slightly above average. I mean, I say things on a daily basis that my wife should reply back to me in the wise words of Jenny sitting next to Forrest on the school bus. Are you stupid or something? I did graduate with honors from college, but it was a business degree, so take that for what it's worth. Not a whole lot. So the answer is a resounding no. I'm not an expert. But guess what? That's all right. And that's okay. Do you know why? No, not because to me, baby, you are the world. It's because you, yes, you, dear listener, aren't an expert either. And if you are an expert in one of the fields we're going to discuss, you aren't an expert over all of them. Imagine a world where we only left our conclusions up to the experts. First off, we'd have no experts because everyone would be passing the buck to the next person, And yet we, as non-experts, have to reach a conclusion on a worldview ourselves. Now saying that, each episode we do is going to be based around vetted research in the fields of study that we're going to discuss. I mean, we want to know the truth. In fact, I'm going to say something right now that's going to hit the ears of a lot of my Christian friends in a really odd way. And my atheist and agnostic friends are going to be like, yeah, duh. So here it goes. If we find evidence that unequivocally proves that Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, I can't be Christian anymore. I can't. Some of you might find a way, but I'm out. C.S. Lewis put it this way, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Let me give you the TLDR if you just checked out for like 30 seconds while I read that. Jesus was either the Son of God who resurrected from the dead, or he was a liar a hypocrite. And he fooled 2,000 years worth of believers. He didn't leave room for space in between. So yeah, I value the truth of our existence over believing a lie. I will even be giving you the titles of the books we're going to be discussing beforehand so that you can do a deep dive with me if you're skeptical about the research we're going to be discussing. And believe me, I get it. I'm about as skeptical as they come. In fact, I've got a list of businesses that I refuse to shop at because I caught on to their deceptive sales practices and I got in my feelings about it. It drives my wife nuts too, with a capital N, because she knows there's certain places I won't even go in because I felt cheated by them. I wanna know the truth, no matter what it is. Now then, Christians, all my non-believing friends, go ahead and take a lap real quick. Go ahead, take a lap. Get, I said, get. All right, only Christians in the room now. What might be the reason it hit your ears funny when I said I can't be a Christian anymore? If we found unequivocal evidence disproving the resurrection, might be your, wait for it, religion. (coughs) Established religion was one of the biggest opponents of Jesus' ministry on earth. Mixed into that religion were cultural barriers placed by the people who practiced it, and it distorted God's truth so much that they couldn't even see their own Messiah who they'd been waiting on for centuries. What are the cultural barriers you're putting up today? Is it your politics that divide you from the other half of the entire population? Is it your social groups? Is it your social class? If I were to ask most of you why you're a Christian in the first place, you're likely going to tell me one of three answers. I was born and raised Christian, I had an experience, or I had a feeling, maybe through prayer, and I know it's true. Well, guess what? Every other world religion can say all of those things. We have got to do better. Now, the good news is that I believe beyond a reasonable doubt that Christianity is true based on the evidence. You'll notice in the podcast art of our post, I placed a verse of scripture, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. In it, the apostle Peter says, But in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. I'm going to give you my translation. This is the M-A-W translation, all right? Get your crap together and be able to give evidence for your hope in Jesus to non-believers. For the last 200 years, and even well beyond that, Christians haven't had good explanations for the questions raised by skeptics and raised by the rise of naturalism. And it's led to a great many people, especially young people, leaving the faith when they don't have reliable evidence to combat their possible doubt. I know. I'm one of them. I was born being dragged to church, and I did not feel comfortable expressing doubt because I'd always get a Bible says answer. In a day and age that we have what's been described as infinity in our pockets, you can have answers to those doubts as fast as you can type them into your phone. Does it mean that those answers and explanations are correct and in line with the evidence? No. Be informed and always looking to grow in your wisdom of the evidence for God's creation. We need to do better. It's a problem that a majority of longtime Christians don't know what the term apologetics means. In Greek, apologia. We'll get answers like, what are you apologizing for? And we're literally called to do this. And just for clarity, it means making a defense. Making a defense using reasonable explanations. That's it. Does that mean we're going to have to educate ourselves on things we initially find boring? Everyone has their preferences in school. For some reason, they kind of seem to go together as well. My wife, she's more science and mathematics, and I'm more history and literature. But don't miss this. That's what God's saying. Don't miss this. There is beauty and delicate intricacy in the design of the universe by our creator. If you skimp on the subjects we cover, boring as they may seem to you on the front end, you're going to miss something that God wanted you to marvel at. And trust me, I get it. When I'm reading information about quantum environments, I have to reread it like five times to understand and grasp the information. In the words of Michael Scott, Why don't you explain this to me like I'm five? My wife is the same way with ancient history and geography, but we still are called to dive into it. Because what if your child has a possible doubt that could be reasonably explained, but you're not prepared? Are you going to let them turn to the infinity in their pocket for answers? What if you're challenged by a non-believer? Are you going to be ready to gently and kindly give an evidential response back to them? Are you going to be able, even, to disciple them effectively? Or are you going to quote a Bible verse to them and hope that's enough? And don't get me wrong, I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. But that doesn't mean the non-believers we talk to do. That doesn't mean that they've heard enough evidence to trust what it says. We have to do better. There's also this idea in some Christian circles floating around that blind faith is somehow more pure than working through doubt evidentially. And just being honest, I don't know where that comes from. If we have truth on our side, we shouldn't be afraid of doubt. Instead, we can use that doubt to determine if it's reasonable based on the evidence or just possible. We'll talk about this more when we bring our non-believing friends back into the room. I can already hear them out pacing out in the hallway, so they're getting worried I forgot about them. But first, let me give you an example of doubt to think about. In the Gospel account of Luke, chapter 7, verses 18 through 30, John the Baptist is wasting away in prison and doubting Jesus as the Messiah. This is the John the Baptist, the one who paved the way for Jesus' ministry. Jesus' own relative He sends messengers to ask Jesus if he's the one to come or if they should look somewhere else. The response of Jesus shows his regard for evidence. He doesn't even answer them right away. Instead, he proves to them who he is. He shows them the evidence. In verses 21 through 23, Luke says, In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight, and he answered them. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. What you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That's your own scripture. That's my scripture. That's his word. Jesus didn't rebuke John for his doubt. And he didn't tell John to have blind faith or just to pray about it. He said, look at the evidence and believe. After that, he told everyone there that John the Baptist was the greatest of prophets. And it's not just John. After the resurrection, Luke records in Acts that the apostles were provided many convincing proofs for 40 days straight. Are you seriously going to sit there and tell me that your faith is more pure than John the Baptist, and the disciples that watched him die and be raised because it's blind? Come on now. After the break, I'm going to call our non-believing friends back into the room, and what will they be like when they return? We know that they don't typically like to be outside of the room when it comes to explanations for the universe, so we'll bring them back to their comfort zone here with us. All that and more after the break. This episode is sponsored by Jesus Christ. He paid for your sins so you don't have to. (laughs) You guys are seriously letting me have way too much fun with this podcast format. All right, it's time non-believers y'all can come on back inside where it's nice and cozy y'all just warm yourself up by the tv get those fuzzy socks on all wrapped up in a blanket with your coffee in your hand do you guys like legal dramas my dad he loves the show bull it's about a law consultant who evaluates jurors and then plays on their emotions to produce the desired outcome and whatever criminal case they're representing. I'm more of a detective catch-a-killer type drama fan myself, but in terms of the whole process of the system of law and order, both sides have to work together. It shouldn't be surprising then that some of my favorite authors on evidence for Christianity come from this law and order background. I mean, gathering evidence and inferring conclusions on the evidence comes with the job. Stay with me, by the way, until the end of the episode to hear which author we'll be reading first for the next few weeks. But just like the show Bull, how do we as jurors, in the trial on why we exist in this universe, stay protected from being influenced by our emotions and biases in order to draw reasonable conclusions on the evidence? I mean, everyone has a bias to their own worldview, right? We don't like being wrong, at least. Well, in real life, There are rules our court systems have developed called jury instructions. Jurors are consistently instructed to keep an open mind throughout the trial and not to let bias or prejudice or sympathy or even public opinion influence their decision. Did you notice that last part? Public opinion. For the most part, we gravitate towards people with similar interests, hobbies, and value systems as our own. The problem with that is that our values, as we discussed earlier, are influenced heavily by the worldviews we hold. So if we're running around with people that share the same values as us, we're also surrounded by people with the same worldviews as us for the most part. And that can be hard to push aside. The fear of rejection from our social circles when we think, what if I'm wrong, can make us shut our eyes and dig our feet in the sand and brace for impact. We see this in examples of Muslims that converted to Christianity in the wake of 9-11. Predominantly Christian nations and predominantly Islamic nations circled the wagons to an extent. So when we see Muslims convert to Christianity, or even the opposite, if a Christian converts to Islam, think of the rejection they experience from their own social circles, right? I mean, it can be hard to push the people we're around aside to make an informed decision. So both believers and non-believers— need to be cautious of that and do their best to not let it interfere with the conclusions they draw from the evidence. All right, this next topic, again, applies to both believers and non-believers as they work to be the best jurors they can be. The author I'm going to reveal at the end of the episode that we're going to take our first crack at the evidential material with describes it this way. Don't be a (laughs) know-it-all. Oh boy, I bet you're glad now that I'm not an expert, right? See, I told you that would pay off. Experts don't belong on juries. They belong on the witness stand to testify. They are too partial to hear the entirety of the case because their mind was already made up before the trial began. The best juries are those made up of normal people who enter the trial with an open mind and form their inferences based on the evidence and the explanations that make reasonable sense. In fact, our juror selection process is there to weed out potential jurors who present as know-it-alls with formed conclusions before the trial even starts. All right, we're going to use a popular case of the Scranton Strangler as our example. If the jurors in that case went in with the bias that George Howard Scubb committed the crime, and it wasn't even possible that anyone else committed the crime before listening to any evidence whatsoever, They're not going to be good jurors, and they're going to reach the outcome they had in mind when they entered the courtroom. Of course, you and I both know that George was innocent, and Toby Flinderson is the real culprit. Anyone else here for the office conspiracies? Maybe just me? Someone's going to appreciate these deep office cuts. I don't know who, but they're out there. To my friends who hold a naturalist position on the universe, and again, that position holds that the material universe is all that exists— Let's take an example from the office and apply it towards the biggest hurdle you're going to have in controlling your bias through the course of this investigation. Well, what's the bias we need to keep under control? Well, I'll tell you. When we're putting supernatural explanations on the witness stand in the larger trial of how we came to exist in the universe, you can't be closed off to supernatural explanations. Does that make sense? I mean, you're not getting all the information to reach a verdict if you don't consider them. It's like only listening to the prosecution or only listening to the defense. If you do that, you're going to come out of this the same way you walked in and with the same conclusions and reasoning for your conclusions, even if they're not supported by evidence. Believers, I challenge you to do the same thing. Don't sit over there looking off into space, acting like your case doesn't have weaknesses. Even if you think it's the truth. Even if you think it's the truth. Most all cases in our criminal justice system has weaknesses on both sides of the aisle, prosecution and defense, and they still are able to reach the truth based on the evidence. They're able to get convictions where the convicted confesses at the conclusion of the case, even though the prosecution's case had weaknesses that any defense team worth their salt points out in the trial. Let me give believers an example of a weakness. You want me to believe that a man died and came back to life three days later, 2,000 years ago. That doesn't happen. It's not common. You wouldn't even classify it as rare today. Yes, people can be resuscitated. I'll give you that. But not after three days of actually being completely and utterly dead. And certainly not without modern medical practices, right? I mean, you just don't see this happening in your normal life. Your position requires me to believe that the supernatural can occur in the first place, and that is a big leap. It was a big leap for me. I still remember where I was five and a half years ago. I thought it was silly to even investigate whether any of this happened. I didn't even give it the time of day because it wasn't possible in my eyes, and more than that, it actually would make me mad that what I viewed as an ancient and antiquated way of thinking still pervaded our society today. I thought, well, this is halting the progress of our society. It's invading our politics and our laws. I mean, I was upset. I still remember we had a few sidewalk preachers. If you went, I mean, if you are in college, you see sidewalk preachers everywhere. When I went to Florida State early in my college career, we had sidewalk preachers. I still remember sarcastically walking past one of them who's, you know, just kind of having a peaceful dialogue with a group of students. This one didn't have like a megaphone or anything like that. But walking right through the middle of them, I remember flipping them off right in front of everybody and just going about my day all nonchalant. I still remember the laughs it produced at the time and me feeling like I had actually done something. Some of those closest to me don't really understand the significance of me changing my worldview. And I don't blame you because you you don't have the same experiences as me. But ultimately, (laughs) we still have to reach a conclusion. All right, it's that time. What we've all been waiting for. The announcement of the first book we'll be primarily using in our discussions on the evidence. God's Crime Scene by Jay. Warner Wallace. Now, Mr. Wallace has his own podcast called Cold Case Christianity that I would encourage anybody listening to this to go check out. Remember when I said some of my favorite authors in this space come from law enforcement? Well, Mr. Wallace is definitely one of my favorites. He's a cold case homicide detective in Los Angeles, California, and he does a fantastic job listing the evidence for the universe and the explanations given on both sides. I'm going to make a plea with you right now. I am so glad you're listening to this, but this podcast is interactive. I want you to do a deep dive for yourself. Whether you're a believer or non-believer, go out and get this book and dive in with me. I'll be going over it either way, but I want this for you. I want it so bad that if you email the show at godsproofpodcast at gmail.com, I might even buy it for you. Now, that offer is not always going to be available. I know right Now that I'm probably not going to have many listeners to start off. I'm in my mid-twenties and my wife and I are trying to save up for a down payment on a house. But you, yes you, are important. And don't be coming to me saying, Austin, I can't get that book here in time for your next episode, please. I know you've got Prime. That two-day shipping. This is important. We've already gone over some of the reasons why. But just to recap. Your values are shaped by your worldview. We don't want to lie to ourselves about the reality we live in. Everyone draws a conclusion whether you're an expert or not. For believers, you are called to do this. It is something we should want to do to marvel at the evidence he gave us for his existence. Before I get out of here, a major thank you is in order. To my good friend Jonathan Kurd with the Mark 637 podcast, thank you. Thank you for inspiring and encouraging me to do something I've always wanted to do in starting a podcast. Now, listeners, if you're going to tune into the Mark 637 podcast, just be warned. Jonathan and his friend David are good old country boys, and David gets passionate. So passionate, you might have to take an earbud out every once in a while. So, But it's a good listen, so thank you, my guy. If you know, you know. I also want to thank my wife, Grace. She's a registered nurse and loves biology, so we might even get her on here to discuss that. Uh, if you're lucky. So finally, I want to ask you, dear listener, to subscribe or follow this show on whatever app you're listening on. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor. You really don't have an excuse. And it's kind of silly how much this matters in the algorithms, but please leave a review and rate this five stars. I want this to grow and reach as many listeners as possible. And doing that exponentially helps me in achieving that goal leave me a question in your 5-star review by the way and I might even throw in some sort of mailbag episode going over listener questions. I will say though, if you do submit a question to me, please judge your intent behind asking the question. When I was a kid, there was a show on ESPN called Stump the Schwab <laughs> and, you know, that's back when ESPN programs were actually okay. But I'm a huge college sports fan, and I was enamored with it because this one guy seemed to possess every sports trivia answer. And as we discussed earlier, we've already gone over this, I am no Schwab. So please, submit questions that are actual stumbling blocks to your ability to evaluate the explanations for the evidence. All right, I'm excited. Are you excited? That's it for me this week on God's Proof Podcast. We'll see you next time.